Hey everybody, zooming back at you. And today we've got a special guest all the way from beautiful Nelson, British Columbia, a place that is near and dear to my heart. My my family on my mom's side comes from around there. And our special guest today is a an entrepreneur. He's not just a real estate entrepreneur, he is also an entrepreneur in other businesses as well. And that's Mr. Basil McLaren. Basil, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. Good to be here. Hey, man. So really good to get to know you a little bit here. So first of all, when it comes to real estate, because I know you've you've done a number of different things business-wise, what kind of flipped your switch when it comes to real estate investing? And when did you first get started with that? Yeah, well, it's in my blood, I feel like. A lot of my family members were in real estate. So that- As, as investors my... or realtors or what? <laughs> uh, as investors or business people. Really, like the land. Yeah, my my grandfather had a an electric store, so he sold lighting and, and these kinds of things in Vancouver. Uh-huh. And then he owned all the real estate as well. And you well, know, geez, my dad if you guys told held me, on to any of that in Vancouver, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, not anymore. That was yeah. uh, before I was born, but still, you know, it paid off well. And so, always kind of took note of that. My dad was was uh, strong on the real estate front. That's a believer in that. So that that sort of piqued my interest. But it was actually through some mentors, almost I would call them now, looking back, yeah. who were doing similar things, and they just taught me a little bit more about the nuts and the bolts. And I was like, oh, I could do this. And so over a decade ago now, that was my my entry. So real estate. Very cool. So these mentors, a lot of people get mentors in real estate specifically for that. It sounds like these were guys that were kind of mentors in something else. And they, yeah, they were just friends, oh, uh, cool. but they also did some real estate and just, you know, I think we, we developed a friendship and then I would learn about what they were doing and they were doing some of this. And so I got interested. And so through that informal mentorship, mentorship may be a strong word, but through that friendship, which sort of, I look back and call it a mentorship now, because that's really what was happening. That gave me sort of a little bit more of the, the, uh, oomph to actually, you know, do it myself. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious about that Basil, because that's a little bit different. And I, I actually think that really is true mentorship, right? So Mm. the word's been, kind of overtaken by coaches and stuff and people selling it, uh, sort of that sort of thing. But were these guys that you met through the local business community? Was, was this like a chamber of commerce type connection or how did, how did you connect with these guys in the first place? Yeah, that's a good question. They're very influential people. They're kind of in the community and they've yeah. served a lot of different roles the first introduction we had, funnily enough, was actually at church. So that's where we met the first time. Right. Uh, but then through all of these different avenues, our, our paths continue to cross. And so that's, yeah, that's how it started. That is really cool. Well, hey, hats off to you for being the kind of person that was open to that and then taking action and actually doing some of the stuff that these these folks were recommending for you. So what did those initial forays into real estate investing look like for you, Basil? Uh, it was first of all just starting to even in a, even in a you know back of the back of the napkin kind of way just yeah. look at analyzing a deal. So okay, what's the price? What are the expenses? List them all out. How do we see if we're going to make money? So that that was where it started. And once I saw oh this is really possible, you know now I feel comfortable analyzing a deal. I just started doing it. I just started look at everything for sale. And then also recognizing you can get a little more upside on private deals. So I just started pursuing, pursuing uh, you know, connections that I had already 
And uh, so actually my first deal was a private deal. My second deal was with a realtor I knew. Uh-huh. Um, and and what, what were these houses, multifamily mm-hmm. properties, flips, buy and holds? What, what kind of yeah. deals? They're all buy and hold. I still have them. Uh, one was the first one was two duplexes on a lot. So, um, yeah, that was, you know, four doors right away. And yeah. the second one was a single family with an up and down suite, downstairs suite. So there you go. So there are six units pretty, pretty quick there. Long-term buy and hold. Was that in your back backyard in, in and around Nelson? Is that where yes. you focused on first? Yeah. 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 Very cool. Area. Very nice. So what, uh, what has that led to for you, Basil? What, what do you, is, is that what you're continuing to focus on or what are you looking at these days? Well, at the beginning, I didn't have much of a business plan. It was just sort of long-term hold real estate. Right. Because and, you're a self-employed guy. So that's kind of like the, the retirement fund, right? Yeah, that's what, yeah, that's what you do. And it made sense. And so, okay, we'll just keep it there steady for a while and, and work down that debt. Uh, but the next project then was um, a, it was a, a fixer upper. So I bought that renovated it, rented it for a year or two, and then sold it. So it turned it up into a flip. I didn't really want to hold that property long-term for various reasons, um, but it ended up being a, a great deal. I put a lot of my own sweat equity into it, mm. turned around, made a profit, and then went ahead and used that profit to buy a fourplex. Very nice. In or around the same area? Exactly. Yeah. Nice. That is awesome, Basil. So what is your what is your day job? What is your day business, as it were? Yeah, we're in our fourth year of Fit Floors. So it's a flooring store. We retail. We sell all the different flooring types. You know, carpet, hardwood, tile, vinyl, and so on. And uh, that's growing steadily. We're just opening a warehouse soon, actually. Um, but I still am recognizing my continued love for real estate in the background. And so how can I juggle both these worlds? What's my you know, long-term, I'm sort of going through these questions, probably the ones that you're going to ask me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, but I mean, so I'm doing estimates, I'm doing supply, I'm going out to people's homes and, and getting their, their new flooring in and making them feel comfortable in a new space. So that's kind of my day today. Very cool. So when you first started investing in real estate 10 years ago, what were you doing for a living back then? What what was your profession? Yeah, I was doing more general contracting at the time. And I also okay. did school quite late. So I was still in school for a bit while I bought the first house. Uh, my wife had a good job. So we were kind of, we're in a position to be able to do that. And uh, now, yeah, so I did, did general contracting. Basically, I did a lot of my own, own work. So I had my mm-hmm. own schedule and then doing that flip kind of fit right into that. No, that well, that's what I was asking the question around because yeah, it sounds like you got a really good background and connections in the trades. Definitely, when it comes to flooring, you could probably get a smoking deal on that. That's for sure. And then you know you've got experience with the the general contracting side of things, which you know that's a big challenge for some of us that uh, couldn't couldn't hit a nail on the head if we tried our best kind of thing. So that is a definitely a big competitive advantage. So. It sounds like you've built up a nice little portfolio. How many how many doors do you have in the portfolio at this time, Basil? Oh, you're embarrassing me. I, I, now I've got a recount. I think there's about 15. Now I have some commercial buildings. And uh, I think there's about 15, yeah. 15. All right, very cool. So yeah. it's a mix of residential. And then for the commercial, what do you have for commercial property right now? 
Yeah, there is a stratified office space that I have. Um, so that's a smaller unit, but still, you know, nice little commercial investment. Yeah, I've got another kind of, it's a building. It's almost like a plaza. It's got several different businesses in it, one anchor tenant, and then three other uh, smaller businesses on the side or four other, I should say. Um, and then there's a bit of a storage, smaller storage uh, space connected to that as well. Um and Very then, cool. yeah, that's all for commercial. Yeah. Is that all in and around Nelson? Yeah, that's in Castlegar. In Castlegar. So pretty close by. Very, very cool. So what are the plans moving moving ahead, Basil? It sounds like real estate is, is something that you're pretty passionate about. You're doing well with it. Where do you see yourself going down the road? Yeah, I think that because of my background, I've, I've pretty much done every aspect of uh, real estate investment, you know, whether that is a fix and flip or a buy and hold or the construction zone end of things, um, the local connections, the trades, also investor group around here. Uh, so I feel like I'm kind of on that cusp of going to the next step where I could just, I could go bigger, I could do more commercial, I could do bigger multifamily, but I'm running into just the local area here is small. You know, there's mm -hmm. not a lot of investment opportunities. I don't want them all in one basket anyway. And so that's made me look a little bit broader into the rest of BC or even Alberta where, you know, there's no BC or there's no property transfer tax provincially in, in Alberta that, that helps a lot. Um, so there, plus, there's plus the landlord tenancy uh, rules mm -hmm. are a lot more in the landlord's favor in Alberta exactly. than they are in BC. Yeah. Yeah. I believe you can raise the rents there twice a year. I think it is with some notice. Um, so yeah, that, that helps things out. For sure. It's just a different game. You know, you approach yeah. things a little bit differently in terms of strategy, but that, yeah, those are things that have caused me to kind of look a little bit more broadly and then also you know, taking on investor capital, which is actually, you know, something that we could, we could talk about. You're the king of that. So, um, you know, how that might look. So I feel like I'm on that cusp of let's, yeah. you know, are we just going to sit with what, what we got here? Or are we going to kind of go bigger? Yeah. Well, you know what, there's pros and cons to both. It really depends on what your short-term and your long-term goals are, Basil. So, you know, a lot of people think that you got to scale big, 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 just bigger, bigger, bigger is better which for some people it is. Um, however, the the other side of the coin is, you know what? It ain't bad having a number of properties, smaller number of properties that are free and clear versus a whole bunch of big ones that are leveraged up the yin-yang sort of thing. So mm. it is really an interesting point that you're at. And it reminds me of my good friend, Ken, Ken Beaton, um, he and his wife built up a portfolio. I can't remember something, something around 200 units, wow. which, you know, yeah, it, it, that's, that is impressive. However, they're, they were very quite highly leveraged units. Now they still had a massive amount of, of, uh, you know, net worth because of this and pretty good cash flow as well. But at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's also, the headache factor. So they've, they kind of switched, they liquidated their portfolio, mm. condensed things. And now they're, they're focused on, they, they built a brand new building from the ground up and they've done a couple other deals with, with, a, a, with other investors that they're part owners in, but their goal is to kind of have one decent size. I can't remember how many units they have in that building, 20, 20 or 22, something like that mm. units in the building, but have that one free and clear 
versus mm-hmm. a whole bunch all over the place. And so, yeah, it really, really depends on what you want to do. Now, the other side is you're a young guy. You could kind of have the best of both worlds. Like you could build up, have what you've got now is kind of your, your core portfolio, your personal portfolio, then based on your experience and your background and in contracting and, and all that kind of good stuff, you could look at either buying existing buildings, bringing them up to snuff kind of thing, value add type stuff, or a lot of people are getting into the building built to rent from the ground up game these days as well. That's numbers seem to work there. And you bring partners on board for those. You do a number of those, uh, but at some point you kind of sell off a few and consolidate. Does that make sense? Or, yeah. or whatever you want to do, but that's, it, it really depends on what your long-term goals are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I find the convenience of operating locally, super handy, you know, the, the properties are all nearby. Even some of them are private through local, my local connections. Yeah. And that's, that's a wonderful thing. Um, but it limits you to, to just operate locally as well. And so there's going to be a challenge, I think, in going broader, uh, but there's upside too. So yeah, there's lots to consider. Yeah, no, most it's exciting. I mean, what's exciting, Basil, is you've got the options, you've got the opportunity, you've got the vision. Uh, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's really exciting for you. So what do you see being some of the, the challenges that might, uh, what have been some of the challenges you've faced so far? And what do you think might be some of them moving ahead? Hmm. Um, well, now that I've overcome those challenges, I don't know. I don't, maybe I don't. Well, okay. What, what were they? What, what <laughs> yeah. were they? What were the ones you had to overcome? Uh, well, I think uh, I haven't, I've actually had fantastic renters on the whole, but there have been a couple where, you know, those, those are challenging. And again, as you mentioned, working with the, the rental rules around here makes it difficult to, to help um, a difficult tenant move on if, if that's needing to happen. <laughs> that's very politically correct. Well said. <laughs> yeah, I try. Kick, kick them uh, to the curb might be another way to put it, but anyhow. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, it does present challenges, though, if they're mm-hmm. a real obstinate person and, and you can't, you know, your hands are a little bit tied as to what to do, you know. Yeah. And meanwhile, they're they're beating down your asset and, your, and this, you know, all the equity you're trying to build and, and making it, less valuable. Uh, so that that's hard to overcome. Um, so I've had, you know, a couple of situations like that, not, not too bad. Um, there's, there's been a few building challenges here and there in terms of just bigger maintenance items that you don't think about or, yeah. you know, that come along. Um, but yeah. And then I guess obviously for everybody probably is the new interest rate environment. That's, that's going to be a challenge. Okay. How much, you know, what's your debt servicing ratios like and how much more can you take on board and what's mm-hmm. justified in different banks look at things differently, which is, which is interesting and helpful to know which banks are going to view your properties a certain way. You know, some of them are going to take into account just part of the rent as against your debt ratio. Some of them will take the whole rent. Um, you know, or some of them will look at your whole your whole net worth as 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 uh, as what they can lend to you, whereas some of them will look at just your just that standalone property um, by itself and see what it right. covers. So there there you know a few different uh, ways to go about things. Yeah, yeah, I guess I that would I, be one of the advantages of getting more into the commercial residential side of things. The, the financing is a lot less reliant on you. Um, a lot yes, more based on the property. 
and I enjoy the tenants a lot more in that there's they have a lot more responsibility and they have a vested interest in keeping that property up to speed and paying their bills. That, that this is their business and their livelihood, and they're invested in that. Right. Uh, then you have a lot less touch points with them. You know, they they signed the lease perhaps five years, and you know they pay their bills generally. You know, every month, and so uh, it's just easier. You know, to yeah. have a, a commercial tenant. I think in a lot of ways. Now, do you find, well, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Some people have had the challenge, though, myself included, at different points with uh, commercial property is it's great when they're fully occupied, but you get a vacancy that can last a long time in, in some yes. circumstances. Have you run across that yet or have you had good luck with that? Um, uh, we'll see actually. <laughs> so in the, the yeah. office it's stratified, there's a fantastic tenant for, for long-term. So, so that one is, you know, I'm just in a good situation there. It's, it's going to be fantastic. I think, uh, the other, the other building has more, uh, there's the anchor tenant, I think it's long-term, so that's good. But then on the side, there's a few others that are kind of moving in and out. And one is, is wanting out of lease or in an industry that's just kind of gone down recently. And so now yeah. they want out. So this is again that that challenge that you're that you're bringing up. Yeah, I could have a vacancy for quite a while, and and I saw this in my dad's properties too. He he had some vacancies for quite a long time, and that definitely hurts your return. So you you have to be you know yeah, and this is what other people I think don't appreciate. You have to have a good cushion, you know. You have to have, and that's also what the higher interest rates is teaching me now too. You know, you need to have good equity. You need to have good cushion. You need to be prepared. You need to have some reserves. So. Um, yeah, that's, we'll see what happens with this one. Hopefully I can get it filled up, but I might be looking at less return for a little bit, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, a lot of these things are temporary, you know, interest rates go up and down. We're, we're kind of getting back to normal a little bit. I, I think we all just got really, really spoiled for quite an extended time and thought that was normal. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's it's going to be interesting. But yeah, I know, especially these days, with multifamily properties, there are some pretty big incentives from the government, the federal government, and even the, some of the provincial governments for building more rental units just because there's such a shortage of, of stock. So yeah, there, there could be something definitely to look at there, but you're absolutely right. You always want to make sure that you've got a good contingency. And if you, especially if you start to bring on investors, which you probably will no, not probably. You will have to do if you really want to scale things, get to the next level. It's all about setting up those expectations, right? So really sounds like you're a pretty conservative kind of guy. It's the 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 biggest trick I've seen, Basil, when it when it comes to this is good old Tom Peters advice, under promise and over deliver. So make sure that you've got really good expectations set with your investors. You know, if if you're going to be getting into a property and turning it around and refinancing it, and your best guess is you'll you'll probably be able to do that in two or three years, well, then I would highly recommend that you double that time frame in the eyes of your investors and, and talk to them about five to six years. And then if it happens faster, you look like a hero. If things don't go according to your plan, you've still got a cushion there as well. So same thing with the the kind of returns that people are going to be getting. That was one of the mis big mistakes I made early on was uh, <laughs> I'd show off my best deal ever as an example. Cause I was just so proud of that baby. It was my, it was, it was my baby. Right. But then that would either 
scare people off because the returns were too high for their context, or it would kick their greed gland into overgear and they go, wow, that's what I want. And then if, even if you delivered really good returns, if it didn't match what you were pointing at, mm-hmm. you, you ended up looking like a schmuck. So I don't think you're going to have a problem with that. It sounds like you, you're a, a conservative kind of guy by nature. So, uh, but that would be a, a big piece of advice for you there. Yeah, that's welcome advice. And I'll take any advice you got. I'm, I'm not as uh, I've done some uh, seller finance deals, but I haven't done a ton of private private equity deals or any private equity deals. So that's where I'm uh, all ears from. You. Yeah, well, here's here's the thing, Basil, it's always a little um, intimidating if you haven't done it before, like anything, right? But here's what you've got going for you. you got lots going for you. But you've got 10 years of self-financed experience behind you in a variety of different things, right? Plus you've got the construction background, plus you've got all of that. So you're head and shoulder above a lot of people that are just getting started with raising capital because you've already got a experience and B a track record. So um, it, it's all about how do we package that and present that to a prospective investor so that they feel like they know you, they like you, and they trust you with your money, right? That's that's the big tip there. Well, this has been great, Basil. I think you're doing great things. And I uh, appreciate you sharing your your journey with us. I, I love how you got started with those, you know, first kind of accidental mentors <laughs> and took their advice and actually started crunching numbers with them and, and buying properties and trying different things and figuring out what 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 you like, what you don't like. And I like the fact that you're you're now ready to take that next step and start getting into bigger deals, whether that's locally or whether that's a little further afield. I think you're very, very well positioned uh, to make that transition. So keep up the good work. And if people want to connect with Mr. Basil McLaren, how would you like them to do that? Yeah, the best way is just my email. It's my name, Basil McLaren, B-A-S-I-L-M-C-L-A-R-E-N at gmail.com. That's easy. And then awesome. I'm on LinkedIn as well. All right. Very good. All right, Basil. Well, thanks a lot. And everybody, thank you for tuning in. And we'll talk to you on the next episode. Thanks, Dave.